Welcome to all of our campuses, wherever you guys are watching from. Welcome to Tabor. Welcome to Claire's home. Welcome Okotoks. Welcome Lloyd Minster, Lethbridge. Welcome uh, online, wherever you guys are watching from around the world. Welcome, 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 welcome. And welcome to part four of our series we've entitled New Year's Resolution. And I know we're all way past our New Year's resolutions. I understand that. However, uh, the New Year's resolutions that we're talking about in this series, there's five of them. These aren't just one-time, one-year resolutions. These are five things that I really felt God was moving in my heart on. When I took a sabbatical last year for, for four months, I pressed in and was seeking God on a number of things myself, and I really came away from that thinking there's five things that I really wanted to focus on that I felt God was pushing me to focus on. And then I, I, as I prayed into it, just as I was coming back, I really felt like, hey, these five things aren't just for me. These are for the church as a whole. And so I started to share with our board and with some of our staff about, about the five, you know, five things that I really felt like we're supposed to focus on, not just for one year, but moving forward. And it resonated with, with all of them. And then after I had announced it to, to the board and to some of the, the, the staff, I had, I read a book, and that book was by Ed Silvoso, and in the chapter two of that book, I'll never forget, I started reading, and he lists five things that are, that require a, for a transformational church, and I started to weep, and the reason why I started to weep is because, number one, I was like, my hearer works, I heard from God, and it, it, when, when you hear from God, it, it's something, like, you're just like, wow, I heard from God, secondly, I was like, I'm so grateful that God did that in the order in which I did it because if it was Kelly's five brilliant ideas, okay. If it was, if I had read the book before, it would have been Ed Savoso's five brilliant ideas. But the fact that I heard from God the five things and then Ed Silvoso wrote it in the order in all of which it happened, I looked at that and I was like, these, this isn't Kelly's ideas. This isn't Ed's ideas. This, these are God ideas. And so that's why, I, that's why I'm passionate about this series. And what I've felt as we've been preaching it and what I've heard from many of you as we've been preaching it is many of you are resonating that God has already been speaking you on these things already, and you might not have worded it the same way I, I did. Ed, that's okay. Ed didn't word them the same way, but they are the same things. And you're going, God's already been talking about that. I've talked with so many of you here in Lethbridge and uh, so many in, in all of our campuses and, and people online contact me saying, I'm feeling the same thing. I've had conversations with pastors of other churches in our city and, and around the world that are saying God is saying the same things. I'm like, okay, now I'm paying attention because if he's saying the same things, number one, our hearers are working, but God is really trying to get something across. So as we go through this, if you've missed the previous number of weeks, I highly encourage you to to go and listen to them or watch them on, on YouTube and you'll be able to catch up and see if they resonate with you in the same way. And, and as we unpack these things, but I don't want you to just listen with your intellect and it's good to take notes and encourage you to take notes, but don't just listen with your intellect, listen with your spirit. What is God saying and what is God saying right now and what is witnessing with me and what is he speaking to me directly about? All right, now in the first week we talked about, and here's the three that we've given you so far of the five. Number one is focus higher. Number two is grow smaller. Number three is anchor deeper. Number one, focus higher. We talked about 
evaluating what we sacrifice for, that we learn that what you worship, you sacrifice for. And there's lots of things that we all sacrifice for. And I said, in order to evaluate your worship or the priorities of your worship, evaluate where you're sacrificing, what you're sacrificing for. And make sure that, and this is my personal, you know, thing for me, my challenge for myself is my personal aligning, making sure that what I am sacrificing for first and foremost is God, that I'm putting him number one. And there's other things that I can sacrifice for, absolutely. But number one has to be God. That's focusing higher. Number two, we talked about growing smaller. And we learned that God's aligning, learning how to align with God's strategies. And God's strategies, his ways are higher and his thoughts are different than a lot of us. And that God doesn't see small or smallness as weakness or irrelevance. That God really uses small things to confound the wise. He uses the simple things and the small things. And he used the smallness. You know, Jesus gathered thousands of people, had massive crowds and followings, yet he withdrew to 12. And then he trained and really dug in to three and and that he launched them by twos and that he well he he could have motivated the masses he chose to to use small as as not insignificant strategy but as a very significant strategy that turned the world upside down and so we learned in this that we need to grow smaller and maybe think how god thinks and that that really life change is going to happen best in in a small gathering in small groups rather than in in everything being large and bigger Number three, we learned about anchoring deeper, and anchoring deeper is really a paradigm shift that in our Western way of doing, you know, church, and our Western way of Christianity, that really we are knowledge-based discipleship. What I mean by that is, is that we automatically think, you think, and I think, we automatically think that in order for me to get closer to God, that I need to know more about God, or I need to know more about the Bible before I could ever talk to my friends about Jesus, or before I could do anything, you know, for Jesus, that I need to just get more information. Then we, we live in a society that loves information. Information is not bad. Knowledge is not bad. But discipleship, and then we learned this last week, that discipleship and anchoring deeper, that Jesus said that the man who hears his words and does them is like a man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms came, when the storms come, they, the house will stand. It's, it's hearing, not just hearing, but it's hearing and doing them. It's o- obedience. And James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of it. That we, have, we can't just take information in. We actually have to act on that information. We actually have to obey what we study and what we read. That's obedience-based discipleship. And that's anchoring deeper. And that we are shifting some things and changing some things and paradigm shifting and, and, and even reading the Bible. I'm starting to read the Bible differently than I used to. I'm reading smaller portions, growing smaller. I'm reading smaller portions, writing them out. And then I'm, I'm writing right in my devotions. I will and talk about a behavior that I'm going to do based on what I just read and, and trying to follow through on that within 24 hours and it's fascinating when, when you take that challenge, what, what, what comes from it. All right, you ready for number four? Number four is love louder. Love louder. Now, like I've said many times, I continue to say it again, I've grown up in church and grown up in the Western way of church, and I, I've heard plenty of sermons on love. 
And to be honest, my own bias is, is love was always presented, or maybe this is my perception, but love was always pre presented as wimpy, kind of the easy way out, kind of, I don't know, weak. And I was like, ooh, good. And I was like, I don't know, I'm not... I'm not all that touchy-feely. I, like, I don't talk about that stuff. And I just had this perception that, like, love. So then when I got a revelation, and you guys all got, if you've been here any length of time, you got to witness some of that, is that I got a revelation of, of love and how the vital, vital importance that Jesus placed on love and that his followers, early followers placed on love. That in fact, Jesus said, a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you. And I was like, when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, loving one another, we can just say, oh, love and love one another. Just love, I love everybody, love everybody. But then when he says, as I have loved you, I'm thinking, well, Jesus wasn't wimpy. And he certainly wasn't wimpy in his kind of love. I mean, Jesus was, Jesus was bold. He was, he was, Strong. I mean, Jesus loved Matthew, who's listening to him saying a new command again, love like I have loved. And Matthew's thinking, you loved me, a tax collector. When everybody else rejected me, you invited me to be in your closest inner circle. And when you invited me to be part of your inner circle, that made you look bad. Jesus. And then Jesus, on top of that, you invited all of my notorious sinner friends. That's what the Bible says. Matthew's notorious sin. There's sinners, and then there's notorious sinners. Jesus says, hey, invite your notorious sinner friends. To, and let's hang, hang out and have a party. And Jesus, when you did that, people criticized you, and you didn't care because you loved me that much, and you want me to love like that? You wanted me to lay down my ego and my what people think about me to love like You want me to love like that? Jesus is like, yeah, that's not wimpy kind of love. And then Paul, who wasn't wimpy at all, Paul says this in Galatians 5, 6. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That the only time that my faith counts is not when I know it all, not when I've heard it all, but it's when I express what I've heard and what I've learned, I express it, not through I'm better than you, but I express it through love. Wow. I went into my sabbatical questioning myself and my revelations because I, I carry the weight of being a preacher and a, and a pastor. I carry that weight very seriously because I know I can stand up here and, and teach and that, that what I say is going to be heard and, and listened to and acted on and I'm going I want to make sure that it's not Kelly's ideas it's God's ideas and so I went into my sabbatical going God is this revelation for you know loving one another as you've loved and all this kind of stuff are, are we doing the right things because I've heard other pastors and mentors and friends and big preachers and all the rest of it start saying that hey, you know preaching as if love and all this kind of stuff is not right and is not the way we're supposed to do it and it's wimpy and all this kind of stuff. I've heard that. I've heard that criticism. I've, I've heard them preach it, not aimed at me, but just preach it. And I was, like, I was like, am I hearing right? And I came out of my sabbatical, just so you know, through this and praying through this, I came out of my sabbatical saying, no, no, we're doubling down. 
We're not just gonna. We're not just gonna love. We're gonna love louder. Yeah, this is not a Kelly idea. This is a God idea. Uh, is that okay? So when we say love louder, yeah, we're gonna amp it up. <laughs> Come on. And and one of the scriptures that that really does that for me is Isaiah fifty-eight, and where this is a God idea. From Old Testament to New Testament, Isaiah 58. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. And I think this is a very appropriate scripture to read uh, this week because um, we're going into a church-wide fast and, and prayer time in the next three days. And this passage is about, about prayer and fasting and how to do it right. So this, it's all appropriate. Isaiah 58, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says this, Cry loudly. Do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, and declare to my people their transgression for the house of Jacob and to the house of Jacob their sins. Whenever a prophet, especially an Old Testament prophet, begins a letter or an interaction or a speech with, hey, God told me to shout loudly about all of your sins, brace yourself. Because this is what Isaiah is saying, right? Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, God speaks to him and says, hey, tell, it's like me standing up here as, as, a, as your pastor and saying, hey, God spoke to me and told me to shout it out and I'm supposed to tell you all about your sins. You'd be like, shrink into your chair, like, be like, no, can we leave now? Like, it'd be like, no except for a few sick among you that would like, yes, tell us all about it. No, come on. And this is not something, like, he's going to tell us about our sins, yay. Shout about it, yay. So then he starts writing what God told him, and look what he writes. He says, yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their gods. They ask me to, for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, what about their sins? Like, okay, okay, Isaiah, you're giving them, or okay, God, you're giving them the Oreo sandwich method. Like, you're giving them the good stuff first. And then you're going to tell them the truth, and then you're going to butter them up after the end. That's not what God, God doesn't play games like that. That's not what God's doing. This is, this is the list of their sins, which makes me feel terrible because my list is way worse. But look at the list of their sins. They seek me day by day. They do their daily devotions. Uh-huh. They delight to know my ways. But, okay. As a nation, they've done righteousness. Okay. They have not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They, they haven't broken the Ten Commandments. They haven't done any wrong things. They ask me for just decisions. And they delight in the nearness of God. Oh, they're so bad, aren't they? Like, I'm thinking if they're the crowd and they're going, this is, they're telling us sins, they're like, oh, if that's my sins, tell me more. But listen, listen, listen. God's, 
God doesn't see sin like you and I see sin. God doesn't see things the way you and I do. And God looks at all of these things, things that we're saying, okay, what does it mean to be a good Christian? I do my devotions every day. You know, seek God's face, delight in his presence. Don't do bad things. Like, go to church, seek God. Like, all these things, that's what it means to be a good Christian. And God's going, that's missing the mark still. That's not, that's not what I'm looking for. Okay, God, what are you looking for? If that's not it, my goodness. What is it? He goes on, he says, this is how they're asking the same questions. They're like, wait, you don't like what we're doing? And, the same, he asked, and so they start asking questions like, why have we fasted? And you don't respond. That's a good question. Because fasting sucks. Just to let you know, I like food and hate being hungry. And Like, and if I'm going to fast, I want to know it's going to be worth something. Like, God, why have I fasted and you didn't answer any of my prayers? Man, I have said those exact same things. I fasted. The first time I fasted, I was like, oh, this God is going to move. This is going to be powerful. This is amazing. Nothing happened. I was like, why did I starve myself for that? Nobody, come on, you're all spiritual. You haven't thought the same thing. Come on. They're asking. They're like, wow, okay, why have we fasted? And then they go on and they say, why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold on the day of your, this is what God's response is. Behold on the day of your fast, you find your desire. And in my Bible, your is italicized. On the day of your fast, you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Uh-huh. Okay. This is what it says in the New Living Translation, just to help us a little bit. He says, we have fasted before you. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you didn't even notice. By the way, that's not fasting, that's a hunger strike. And there's a difference. <laughs> okay, then he says, and he says, I'll tell you why I didn't notice. This is God saying, I'll tell you why I didn't notice. And didn't respond. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. And even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. In other words, God's, this is what I want you to say. God's saying, you're fasting wrong. You're you're fasting for your own desires. And I'm going, yeah, I want God to answer my prayers. They were fasting so that they could move God. That's a hunger strike. They're fasting to impress God, to move God on their behalf so that he would answer what they wanted him to do. Which, to be honest, until I read this, that's how I fasted. I'm fasting, and I've got a list of things that I want God to do, and I'm fasting so that God will answer these prayers because it hasn't worked any other way, so I'm going to fast. And if I fast long enough, he'll see how much pain I'm enduring and how desperate I want the answer, then he's going to move. And God's like, You, you think, I'm impressed with that? And this is what, then he goes, <laughs> he, says, he says, you're fasting so you can move God. And God's like, no, 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 I want you to fast so you move. Fasting isn't about moving God, it's about moving us. And here's what, how God's saying it. God's saying, listen, you're fasting to draw closer to me and you want me to move on your behalf, but yet Getting closer to me hasn't even changed how you treat your own workers. 
In other words, God has an expectation that the closer we get to him, that the fruit of that is it's going to change the way that we treat others too. Uh, and he goes on. He says this. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist, but you do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it, not, is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? To which I answer question, you know, verse 5 and saying, yeah, yes. Am I not supposed to humble myself? Am I not starving myself to improve? Am I not, am I not supposed to be humbling myself? Like, yes. And he says, and, and God's like, you call that a fast? Yes? No. Okay, God. What do you want? What's the fast you want? He says this in verse 6. Is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the, band, the, the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? What? Come on, there's so much in this passage come on this this is an entire indictment on christianity as i've always known it come on i've always thought that my relationship with god was what mattered most and i always thought in order to have a good relationship with god i need to withdraw and have private time and i need to pray and all the rest of it. i need to fast to move god to answer my prayers and i need to i need to go to church and and all the rest of it and we can do church for christians and not for the lost and we all, all these things that i've always thought is all about this and god's saying <clears throat> even in your fasting it's not about moving god to you know for you it's not about you at all it's about this is what he's saying when you fast you're going to kill the flesh is that's what the fast is for it's to eliminate the flesh or to to kill the fleshly desires and here's what happens when you deny yourself food you get hungry and your flesh like mine cries out literally right it cries out and it's like feed me but listen, it's not just, it, your flesh doesn't just desire food. The flesh desires serotonin, and it wants to rush from something else. The, the, the flesh desires comfort. Right? All, all these things. And here's what happens. Is the louder the flesh cries out, the quieter the spirit becomes. And what a purpose of the fast is, is to silence the flesh enough so that I can hear the Spirit. And when I hear the Spirit, God is going to do something. God is going to give you eyes to see what he sees and ears to hear what he hears. And he says the inevitable result is as you draw closer to me is you're going to start to see the needs around you. And he starts listing them just like Jesus listed them. You're going to start to see the needs around you. And you're going to start to see the yokes around you and the, the problems around you. And you're going to 
have this urge and this, this idea that you're going to have to solve them. And when you solve them, I know you've gotten close to me because now it's resulted in loving louder. Like, okay. But God, what about me? Like, when are you going to answer my, I've got some, I've got, I still have a list. Verse 8, he says, then, which means after, then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove, if, that's a big word, if, if you remove the yoke from your midst. What's the yoke? That's Bible speak for burden. If you remove the burdens from your midst, if you remove, if you ask, if you pray and ask God, if you get close enough to God, God's going to show you the needs that you cannot see in your coworkers. And God's going to open your eyes and you're going to see a burden. And God says, if you remove that burden, then I will answer your prayers. If we get close enough to God, Come on, Lethbridge, if we get close enough to God, we're going to have eyes to see the burdens in our city. And, and, and if we remove those burdens, God promises, then I'll draw close, then I will answer, then I will. If you remove the burdens from your midst and remove the pointing of the finger of each other <laughs> and speaking wickedness, in verse 10, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise. Then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a well-watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Listen, all of your prayers are basically summed up in those couple verses and saying, God, I need you to bless me here. God, I need you to heal me here. God, I need you to do this here. All of those things, and God promises, I will answer all of those prayers if you remove the yoke among you. And here's what I began to realize, is that fasting is not about moving God on my behalf. Fasting is about moving myself to where God is moving. Getting close enough to him that I begin to see as he sees. And, and watch and, and to begin to focus where he's focused. Look at this. this. It reminds me of the story of Joshua. Joshua is uh, just taken over. He's the successor of Moses who led them out of, the, out of Egypt. And they get to the edge of the promised land. And God tells Moses he can't take him in. It's not him. And then Joshua, I love how Joshua starts. The whole book of Joshua starts, verse 1, and says, My servant Moses is dead. Let's just get to the point. Like, stop mourning the past. It's your turn now. My, my servant is dead. And then, then in the next eight or nine verses, like 20 times, God tells Joshua not to be afraid. And he's like, I wasn't until you kept saying I shouldn't. 
what are you getting me into? That's what I would have thought if God told me that. But, but, but then jo- Joshua feels that, okay, this is the time. This is the time we're supposed to cross over into the promised land. This is the destiny we've been waiting for. You know, we left Egypt 40 years ago, and now's the moment. And so the morning of, the morning they crossed over, they're in the land of Canaan. They're in enemy territory. Joshua, the leader, cannot sleep. Surprise. He's, he's feeling a little bit stressed of what he's led people into, and there's enemy all around him. So Joshua goes out for a walk, and this is what happens. Joshua goes out for a walk, and he encounters the angel of the Lord. This is what it says in, in the Message Bible in chapter 5, verse 13. It says, while Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw right in front of him a man standing holding his drawn sword. That man standing, other translations say, was the angel of the Lord. And Joshua's thinking, I know what he's thinking, because I would be thinking this. This is what Joshua's thinking. Joshua's thinking, we're about to wage battle, and the, arm, the angel of the Lord is here with his sword drawn? Yes. <laughs> Somebody going to get a hurt real bad. Like, <laughs> this is good. Okay? Um, and, and his sword's drawn. Joshua stepped up to him and said, whose side are you on? Kind of cocky, like, whose side are you on? No, no, like, Ours? Or the enemies. Let's just put this in today's context. Whose side are you on? The conservatives or the liberals? Come on, you've got an answer for that. Right? Whose side is God on? You, you got an answer for that. Come on. And you know what he's asking? Come on, let's put this in context. Who, who's on the other side? Who's in Canaan? Muslims. Whose side are you on, God? Christians, the people of God, your chosen people, the Israelites, or those Palestinians? Whose side are you on? Joshua is asking this question because he knows the answer. Whose side are you on, Israel's or Palestine's? Whose side are you on, Christians or Muslims? Whose side are you on, Republicans or Democrats? Whose side are you on? The liberals or the Christians? Come on, we all have a side. Whose side are you on? And, and this, look at the angel of the Lord answers. You know what the angel of the Lord answers? He says, neither. And then I love his answer. I'm the commander of God's army. Do you know who I work for? What do you mean? Whose side is God on? Come on, let, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Us Christians, we, we do this all the time. Come on, we do it all the time, don't we? God bless me. God bless America. I know that ain't true. God, come on. God bless, come on, God bless me, God bless my opinion, God bless my side, God bless, come on. And he says, neither side. It's not about whose side God is on, it's about who's on God's side. So when it comes to fasting, it's not about moving God to my side to bless me, to do what I want. When it comes to worship, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the church you go to, it's not, God's not on any church any more than any other church. It's not about that. It's who's on God's side. So when we fast, this is what, this is what God's saying in Isaiah 58. He's saying, hey, 
you're doing all the right things. You're praying. You're trying to draw near to me. You're not breaking any commandments. You're doing all the right rituals of worship. You're doing all the right things. He says, but that's not the fast I want. The fast I want is you get close enough to me that it impacts everybody around you, that there's no need among you because you see as I see and you love louder. Huh. Some of you are so confused right now. <laughs> what do you mean God's not on the Viking side? <laughs> I'm, I'm confused. No. What do you mean God's not on for the conservatives? What do you mean? It's about who's on God's side, who does it his way. Who, he's the commander. And then look at Joshua's answer. Joshua responds like we should all respond. He fell on his face, and he realized immediately. He didn't sit there and go, what, what do you mean you're not on my side? He fell on his face, and he said, what are my orders? What are my orders? And here's what I want you to fast, and I encourage all of you to fast in some way. Lead, pray. We're going to fast tomorrow, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, and, and I encourage you to do that. If you don't feel led to, you don't have to. There's lots of questions I know. You probably, maybe, many of you have never done it before, but here's what I, those of you who are doing it, those who aren't fasting, pray. And here's what I want you to pray. If you're, those of you fasting, pray. This is what I want you to pray. This is, what, this is the prayer that I want all of us to pray in the next three days. And imagine what happens if we pray this prayer. Here's the prayer. God, where are you already at work? In my neighborhood, God, where are you already at work in my workplace? God, where are you already at work within my family? God, where are you already at work in my school? God, where are you already at work in my city? God, where are you already at work? And how can I join you? So if we go into prayer and fasting time, watch God, how, where are you already working? How can I join you? Now, now, I warn you, that's a dangerous prayer. Because he's been waiting for you and for me to pray that our entire lives. And he is more eager to respond than you are for him to respond. And when we pray this way and when we fast this way, God is going to answer and when God answers, this is what happens. Acts chapter 13, look at this. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. It's kind of a preliminary. It's, they are in Antioch in the church, and there's a bunch of leaders there. You can see the leaders. I don't know how to pronounce half their names, so it's good. They're there. Then it says in verse 2, this is what these leaders in Antioch, this is the center of the church. The church is gathered together. Why? It says in verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Man, I got stuck on that first sentence. Listen, it says, it didn't say that while they're waiting for the Lord to minister to them. It says while they were ministering to the Lord. In other words, they're already in the right posture. They're not asking God to move on their behalf. God bless what we're doing. God minister to us where we are. God minister to our needs. They're ministering to God. Okay? And fasting Okay, watch what happens. The Holy Spirit said, because he's eager to respond. 
And he said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them on their way. Here's the answer. This is the answer right here. Is that they prayed, they ministered to God and said, God, we want to align. And when they aligned and got close enough to God, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, I want, I want Barnabas and Saul, who later became Paul. And out of this fasting and prayer time, and when God spoke and when they obeyed, out of that came the church in Ephesus, in Colossae, in Thessalonica, in Philippi. And if any of those sound familiar, that's where we get the book of Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. I mean, you just go through all the list of it. That out of this one time, this one time when they just said, God, what are your orders? And God sent orders and said, these two, I want you to go. And they obeyed. There's always a calling to action. When we fast God's way, here's today's takeaway. Calling, purpose, your calling, your purpose is the intersection of intimacy and mission. What do I mean? Is that you're going to find a calling, a purpose. This is what Isaiah 58 is all talking about. You're going to find a calling, a purpose when you get Intimate, close enough to God to hear his voice. And he opens your eyes to the needs, the yoke around you, the needs around you, which is going to identify the mission. Now watch this, watch this. Blow your mind for a second. (laughs) I didn't realize this until this week as I was praying and preparing for this, but I didn't realize that of the four that we've gone through so far, focusing higher Anchoring deeper are all about intimacy with God and growing our relationship with God. I'm focusing higher. I'm anchoring deeper. It's my relationship with God. I'm focusing higher. I'm anchoring deeper. Then we talked about, we want to, and we talked about today, we want to love louder and we want to grow smaller is all about our relationship with one another. And didn't Jesus say, hey, the entire law and the prophets hang on, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And when you look at this, the intersection, the intersection of intimacy with God and relationship with people and loving on on others, in the middle of that intersection where those things join, when those things two join, there's a calling and there's a purpose for you, which is what God said in Isaiah. When you get there, when you get there, then then I will answer your prayers. Then, and then verse 12, which I didn't read in Isaiah 58, because we've read it so many times. Hopefully you've got it memorized. But he says, then you will be known as rebuilders of cities and restorers of homes. That in the midst of this intimacy and mission is a calling for each one of us. An example of that is Jesus. What did Jesus do right before he set out on his mission? He fasted and prayed for 40 days. And we always focus on the devil came and visited him and all the rest of it. But listen, the devil came at the end of those 40 days. In the midst of that, he spent 40 days and nights fasting and praying, seeking God and saying, is this the time? Is this the time? And the devil came to try to distract him. And he's like, he just put, he's like, get, got rid of the, that temptation. He went immediately to his mission. And then in his mission, 
he had to fast and pray again. And here's where we'll leave off today and pick up next week. Is he, Luke chapter 6, it says this. Right after, Luke 4 is 40-day fast. Luke 6. It was at this time that he went up, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also named as apostles. In other words, the intersection is where you find your calling. And then in the fasting and prayer, you're also gonna recognize that your calling is never individual that they're always attached to a team, not alone, that there's a people that you're supposed to run with that are supposed to run with you. And that part of this fasting is when you hear God's voice and he says, go, that's why he said, separate Barnabas and there's a team. There's always a team. So when we go into prayer these next three days, Let's pray, what are my orders? God, give me eyes to see as you see where you're already at work and how do I join in? And then let's get ready to answer, amen? Amen. Let me pray for you, dear Jesus. I pray for each one here that those here that are fasting and praying this week, Lord, as we go into this week and we ask you these questions, I thank you, Lord, that you'll be faithful to respond and to answer. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would align with yours, that we'd be able to silence our flesh enough to hear your spirit and where you're working and what you're doing. And Lord, I pray that this would awaken something in each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name.